Greetings, welcome, hey y'all! And to my peeps, sac passe. Mm, it's her Dean Mercier and I'm on the grief mic and I'm super excited about today's interview. I know I always say that, I'm super excited. But I just love learning. I love stretching my thinking. I love changing my perspective. Um, I'm constantly evolving um, through this opportunity of speaking with people on the grief mic. And it's making me better. It's making me a better human being. And so I just love learning. And because I love learning, I I think it makes life better. I love that opportunity. My favorite word is wisdom. And I love seeking and learning from people's experience. I guess that's why as a child, I loved the Oprah show. I cried the day her last episode, like a baby. I remember my pint of ice cream container in my hand. It just was like, Oprah is gone. She's off the air. Who am I going to learn from now? Right? Heartbreak. Real heartbreak, y'all. But I have to tell you the truth. My sister Earl, she, on the day that I got engaged to Jameson, I'll never forget the gift that she gave me. And it was the Oprah series, like the DVDs. I still have them. When I have time, I watch episodes and I just reminisce. I reminisce and I'm still learning from her. So that's great. I love all things Oprah. Well, I want to ask you today, how are you doing? I'm a, I mean, an honest answer. How are you doing? Really sit in that and don't give the elevator pitch answer to somebody that you know or your coworker, someone you don't know. Um, really give an honest answer. How are you doing? Look yourself in the mirror and really ask yourself that. And if you want to take it a step further, join the Grief Crusaders and tell us how you're doing today. And you can join the Grief Crusaders on Facebook with yours truly, the Chief Grief Crusaders, where we see you, hear you, and validate your feelings. See you, hear you, and validate your feelings. Now, today, I have the honor of speaking to a mom that I was left with so many thoughts and questions meeting her several years back at the Circle of Fathers event where Jameson was honored. Um... And I asked her a question and I always thought about that question every time I saw her like, "Mm, what does she really mean by that? I've had dark days and she said a three letter word and I'm like, yeah, but I know it has to be more than that. Just my grief, my grief mind is set up like that. And just to have the opportunity to speak to no other than Sabrina Fulton, who really committed. She's fully committed to transforming a family tragedy into social change. The death of her 17-year-old son, Trayvon Martin, during a violent confrontation in February of 2012 has really made her a household name. See, listen, listen, let me tell y'all something. Something can happen to you in your life, and your life change forever. 
And sometimes that grief will give you platforms or avenues or connections. But at the end of the day, when you listen to this interview, no mother, no grandmother, no family member wanted to sign up for this. Do you hear me? This is not what she signed up for, but this is what happened. And I want to tell you, she has taken her heartache and pain and developed um, a foundation in his honor called the Trayvon Martin Foundation out of a need to bring awareness to ending senseless gun violence, strengthening family through holistic support and mentoring the circles of mothers. I see you all in your purple hearts out there. Just got to let you know we're praying. Founded in 2013, was established as a means of empowering women. Oh, and thanks to sponsorship, she does an annual retreat where she honors and and just feel the cups of women who's of not just women of mothers of children killed by gun violence. During this retreat, each mother will attend educational seminars crafted to offer tools and leadership guidance um, and just be a place of healing and allowing them to come in community. Y'all know I talk about that connection anchor all the time and I say there is power in community. That is what Sabrina has done with her grief. She found purpose with her grief. Her grief has turned into purpose and she uses her voice to speak against violence towards children and the need to build better, safer communities for all. Let me say that again for all, you know, this interview was really just two moms Two moms coming together, coming together, sitting at the table, if you want to think of it like that, and saying, I don't understand, help me understand, or inform me your process, what was it like? And it left me thinking, wow, you know, she's now had to become the voice, the voice of mothers who grieve. She is just one of many, one of many voices of mothers who have grieved the loss of their children through a tragic event. Without further ado, two moms coming together and enlightening each other in this process of redefining grief. I want to welcome Sabrina Fulton. Welcome to the Redefining Grief podcast. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. I'm so honored. I have been dying to have this conversation with you. Um, Long story short, um, I've met Sabrina because Jameson, the love of my life, Dr. Jameson Mercier, was honored in 2018 as a trailblazing father with the Circles of Father um, Foundation through Martin. Mr. Martin, and I had the honor of meeting you, and I've been dying to have this conversation with you, and I remember that night of the award, 
ceremony. And I asked you, and my mom and I have had this conversation, my mother-in-law have had this conversation. We just remember staring at you and like, how did she make it? I don't know if you remember your response, but I do. What was it? You had a you had a ponytail. I remember what you were wearing. Um, and I asked you, how did you make it? My grief mind wanted to know. And you said, God, and you just peacefully walked away. And I just remember being there, hearing your response, God, and going, I've had dark days. And I felt like God didn't hear me. So how did she anchor down? in that faith um <clears throat> a few things i did um first of all i tried to run from it you know mm. I, I you know that's our first instinct we don't want to deal with things and so we try to you know just suppress it in our minds and so um the more i told myself that uh god picked the wrong person the more he told me no i want to use you and I was like, no, why not another mother, another family, you know? And 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 it just, you know, I I I I took a minute. I took a minute because I had to struggle with what I was going through. Mm-hmm. Um <clears throat> and when I finally decided, um, because you do have to decide um that you don't want to be on the street of depression, you don't want to be on, you know, isolated from your family and your friends, and you know, because it's it's by instinct, you want to shut yourself off. You don't want to participate in anything that you used to do. And so um, once I got over that part, um, I started reaching out to other mothers. And I kind of it kind of took the uh, pressure off of what I was going through because I was reaching out to other mothers. And so mm-hmm. that kind of helped a little bit. I'm not going to say it took away the pain, but it definitely um helped in some ways um because now my energy wasn't all about what i was going through i was seeing different situations and trauma that other mothers was going through and just being there with them um made a big difference um not only for me but for them as well Mm -hmm. and so um i prayed i meditated i mean just you know, just asking God, why, why did you leave me? Why did you, you told me that you would never leave or forsake me. And then Mm -hmm. I just felt like he left me, but he didn't, he never did. And, um, I just started trusting in God and just listening to, you know, what God had for me. And so what he wanted me to do. And that's, that was not, um, staying in my room and being isolated from everybody. That wasn't me being depressed or suicidal or none of those things, you know? And so it, it takes a while, but you have to make that decision that you want to move forward. And I did. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad you did. Um, I am going back to the day that Jameson and I were on the couch in our sunrise apartment condo. Um, And Jason, you've met Jason, my son, Mr. Dimples. Um, He was 11 months old when the verdict came out. And I remember, let me go back, because I have two girls, Azriel and Tamar. And I remember when I found out I was pregnant with the son. Instantly, I'm in the room. They tell me it's a boy. I'm so excited. The ultrasound relieved that it was a boy. And I had a feeling that I never had before with Azriel and Tamar. 
I had that feeling of, oh my God, I'm having my first son to, oh my God, I'm having a black boy in America. And I don't think any mother should experience that. And I just remember your story. I'm like, how did she do it? How did she raise him? Is it okay? Just the other day we were out skating and Jason, just our cat, we have outside cats, three of them and Marshmallow, the cat went to the neighbor's yard. And I remember Jason going to the neighbor's yard to play with him. And it's because I knew I was going to interview you the next day and just teary-eyed that, oh my God, Jason is in someone's yard, even though I know the neighbor, mm -hmm. um, but I don't know who comes and visit the neighbor. And I just remember feeling that fear. And so in listening and having this conversation, this is not going to be a normal conversation to those who are listening. If you want to hear the traditional stuff, this is probably not the interview because I really want to speak to her from a mother to mother, heart to heart. And I remember feeling fear. That fear came again, that I had that very first time of finding out that Jason was going to be a boy. How do you speak to us mothers who have never been in your situation? You didn't call for it. You didn't want it. It came knocking at your door. And I constantly say that a phone call can change your life. And it did for you. Um, what advice would you give to us mothers who are raising amazing black little boys who smile and hug and protect and um, encourage us in the cutest little way that we know one day they have to leave our homes? What advice do you give to us? Um, <clears throat> I, I, one, one thing I want to say is... Um, only we have to experience this mm. and so we have to do things in a different manner unfortunately you know mm -hmm. uh, we have to have the talk with our children and not just our young men but our young ladies as well you know mm -hmm. we have to have that talk with them we have to tell them that some people will judge you by the color of your skin we have to tell them that it's that it that it, there are hateful people in this country and there there are people that will shoot and kill you because of the color of your skin not because they really know you or you did something to them but simply by the color of your skin that's the reason why they want to harm you we have to have those conversations with our young people unfortunately we do Mm -hmm. But guess what? We've always been a, a, a body of people that whatever we needed to do, that's what we do. So if that's what we need to do, we have to do it. We have to do it. We can't ignore the fact that we're being shot and killed and nobody is being held accountable. Mm -hmm. The feeling that we have as parents, a lot of other people don't have to feel that way. They don't have to worry about their teenager going to a party or their husband going to a gas station, or, or even being stopped by the police, or being arrested, or any of those things, and, and be fearful of their life. They don't, they don't have to worry about that. And so we have to operate knowing that there is an issue in this country. Not just with Black-on-Black -black crime. That's one issue. We have to address that. 
Mm-hmm. We have a problem with black on black crime, but we also have a problem with law enforcement. We have a problem with white supremacy. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and we we since we know these things, we have to operate in a different manner. Mm-hmm. We we can't. I would be afraid if my son was in somebody else's yard, even though I knew him, because it's so much going on and so much craziness going on. But I would tell people that you can't live in fear and faith in the same in the same mindset. Mm-mm. So you, you, you have to keep relying on your faith. Mm-hmm. Of course, you're going to be fearful in some incidents, but you talk yourself out of it. Mm-hmm. And you say, listen, I have faith in God. I know that God is going to protect him. You have to pray and you have to meditate and you have to cover them and you have to tell them what they need to do. And, and that's all we can do. And we have to let them live their lives. I have an older son. I worry about him all the time. Mm-hmm. But guess what? I can't put him in a bubble or keep him in a room and tell him, okay, I don't want you out because I don't want anybody to disrespect you. I don't want anybody to uh, uh, profile you. I don't want anybody to hurt, harm, or shoot you. So you have to stay in this room. Mm-hmm. I can't. I have to let him live his life. We have to let our kids live, live their lives. And all we can do is cover them in prayer. And all we can do is hope and wish for good things to happen to them. OMG, if you saw me at two o'clock this afternoon, Sabrina, I literally, my brother, my sister lives in Tampa. His friends were going to Tampa um, and he asked, can he go? It's his senior year, of course, because of COVID. He's not graduating. He's not walking the stage. And I'm like, I can't keep him from his my sister, his sister, she lives in Tampa. He has to do this four hour drive. Um, and I have to let them go. And so as he's taking his bags and he's getting in this white car, I'm just like feeling sick to my stomach. I feel weak, like all of this. And I'm like, God, I, I have to turn this over to you because he has to leave for college he has to leave our doors like I have given him every tool I've reminded him every day day in and day out I had to say this hard honest truth and I teach five anchors and getting to a place of restoration and grief that is telling the truth is the very first and so the truth is with him is that you're a black man a black boy in America So you have to walk differently. That is the truth. It hurts, but it's the truth. And I think it's the truth that is going to keep him in our arms. And so after going through your experience um, and it becoming the truth for you, you, we knew it, but from just thinking about your other interviews that I've watched, you probably just never thought it would come knocking at your door. So what, yeah. I mean, you you can never prepare yourself for something like that. I mean, it's it's nothing you can do to prepare for it. You could just um, you know, just hope and pray that if something happens to your child, you have the right support around you. Mm, that's so true. And in looking at your heart, I know you've had some hard days. I know you had the days that we don't see when you're on television shows or you're doing your campaign. What does healing look like for you, for those mothers who are listening, who have experienced what you've experienced, or mothers like me who are fearful that I, I don't want it to happen, 
But I know the reality is that it can happen. Um, what does days, your dark days look like? My dark days are terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know how sometimes when it's raining outside and you get a feeling like, okay, mm-hmm. I'm feeling a little down. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling a little dreary. Um, it's way worse than that. It's, it's mm. my, my, my bad days. I still have them, but I allow myself to have them. A lot of people try to uh, protect themselves from their bad days. Um, it's just like the weather. You can't stop the rain. Mm. You know, you, you just have to know that this is a bad day and the sun will shine again. And so when I tell myself that, I'm, I'm like, okay, this is a bad day for me right now, but tomorrow will be a better day. So let me just cry today. Let me just stay home today. Let me just isolate myself from everybody today. And tomorrow will be a better day. Sometimes I go through through it, not one day, maybe two days, maybe three days before I can actually wrap my mind around, okay, now I'm coming out of these bad days, but I still have them. It's been seven years and I still have them, but I allow myself to have them. I recognize what they are. When I wake up and I'm not quite feeling right, that means this is a bad day. And most of the time I stay home because that's not the time for me to talk to people. That's not the time for people to try to hug me or tell me that they watched the trial. They know about Trayvon Martin. That's not the time. Mm. And so a lot of times when I'm feeling like that, I stay home or I do something that I enjoy. I'll go to the beach. I'll go to the mall. I'll go to the spa, something that I like. Sometimes I stay home and eat ice cream. Mm-hmm. I, I I just have to put myself in a position where I make myself feel better. A lot of times people rely on other people to make them feel better. Mm-hmm. You got to know what your triggers are. And you also have to know what your triggers are that you need to do to make yourself feel better. And you just ride out, you ride out the storm. And so I realized that. So on my bad days, I'll be like, okay, today is a bad day. Mm-hmm. And I might have my PJs on all day. I might just snuggle up in bed and just stay in bed the whole day. It's a bad day. Mm-hmm. It's not a day for me to come out and speak. It's not a day for me to campaign. It's not a day for me to 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 be out in the public. My bad days. I'm I'm usually at home. Mm-hmm. And that's so good and powerful that you're saying that because oftentimes we as women, especially Black women, we're told to put on our superwomen cape. Be strong. I've seen several interviews. They, they'll tell you, you're courageous. You're strong. You All of these adjectives that <sighs> keeps us wearing the superwomen cape um, without the individuals who are watching it, whose hearts are broken, not spending enough time talking about bad days and embracing them. And so I find it I love it. As a grief therapist, as a coach, to hear you say you allow yourself to have bad days, I'm like walking on clouds right now because I think people need to know it is okay. And I I say this to be true. It is okay to have a purposeful life with happiness and sadness. It's learning to embrace both emotions. And you've done that very well by identifying when you have those good and bad days. And so what I want to ask you next is the healing journey. Um, What steps did you take when you finally embraced the calling that you were going to active, you were going to do social justice, you were going to start the Trayvon Martin Foundation, you were going to speak out 
And now even in a campaign, how did you get from your dark days to now advocating for us? Um, one of the things I tell people, and I'm not proud of, but I say it because I want people to know how human I am. Mm-hmm. Um, I struggled with God. I, mm. I struggled with God and, and I, 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 I couldn't understand for the life of me why I was chosen, but I was chosen. Um, and so one, once I decided to stop fighting because I would cry, I would cry every day. I wouldn't come out of my room. Um, my room is purple. And I would just stay in my purple room. And I just remembered that was my comfort zone. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to be around anybody. I didn't want to talk to anybody. Just nothing. I just wanted to stay in my purple room. Um, (laughs) I used to look in the mirror every day. And I I listened to people tell me how strong I was. Mm -hmm. And I really didn't believe how strong I was. Mm -hmm. And I would look in the mirror and I would tell myself I was strong. And I I would just start crying. Mm-hmm. So I was strong, but on the inside, I didn't feel strong. Mm-hmm. And so I needed to match the outside up with my inside. And so I would look in that mirror every day and tell myself that I was strong, but I would start crying. And then one day I looked in the mirror and I told myself that I was strong and I became strong. Mm-hmm. So I talked that into existence. Um, the Bible tells you speak things that are not as though they were. And so I kept telling myself that I was strong until eventually my strength lined up with what I felt on the inside. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that, that's, that's basically where it started at. I had to, to, I had to feel strong within. In order for me to display that on the outside, I had to feel the same way on the inside. And, and for a long time, I didn't feel that way. Because I was still crying when I wasn't doing interviews, when I wasn't out in public and things like that. I was still, you know, crying. I was still sad. I was still depressed. And, you know, I I just was like, okay, this is not the life that I want. And so you do have to make a conscientious decision that, listen, I'm not going on this street. I don't want to be on the street of depression. I live my life 95% happy. There was only a few times in my life that I can actually tell you I was sad. Mm. I lived a great life. And so where I was, I found myself in a space that I did not want to be. But I had to make the decision. Nobody around me, my mom, my dad, my sisters, brothers, nobody, friends, church members, nobody could decide that for me. I had to decide it for myself because it's some work after you decide that you don't want to be depressed, that you want to move on with your life, there's some work that you constantly have to do. Mm-hmm. Because I would never leave out the fact that there is a hole in my heart for my son. Mm-hmm. And that nobody has to remind me about Trayvon Martin because I think about Trayvon Martin every single day. And so that that's just a part of my grieving. Like I said, the... Uh, reaching out to moms um, once I decided that I wanted to um, move forward. Um, I started reaching out to moms. I created a circle of mothers, which we were supposed to have um, this weekend. Mm -hmm. Um, But instead, we're going to have to do a Zoom call. We usually Mm -hmm. have a three-day weekend um, where I bring moms from all over the United States. And, you know, I usually have about 100 moms a year. 
And so this is the first year we haven't had the circle of mothers. And so I know a lot of the moms miss that. I want them home um, for Mother's Day. So it's usually the weekend after Mother's Day. But um, it's about healing. It's about empowerment. It's about, you know, them bonding with each other because it's one thing when you're going through something and you feel like you're by yourself. Mm. It's another one when you meet in a room full of people and they all experiencing some of the same feelings that you have. And so um, I am disappointed <laughs> um, that I'm not going to be able to have the circle of mothers this year. Mm. But I am going to do something for the moms um, through a call. Um, I'm going to have, you know, the moms to call in and try to lift their spirits and maybe I'll get a comedian to make them laugh and mm -hmm. we have a prayer and just some, some homework for them to do. Good, good. I love it. Um, one of my missions in my program is talking about going from grief to purpose. And one of the quotes I will never, ever, ever, ever forget, I can hear you say it, this is not about a black or white thing. This is about a right or wrong thing. Justice for Trayvon, justice for Trayvon. What does justice for Trayvon looks like now? Well, first, let me tell you, um, I think the first part is, it explains itself that this is not a black and white thing. It's definitely about right and wrong, mm -hmm. you know, and regardless of what race you are, murder is wrong mm -hmm. to kill someone is wrong and then it, that that's one thing the death but then for the person not to be held accountable it feels like a, a double-edged sword when mm -hmm. when you feel like you okay you hurt the person and now you hurt them even more when the person is not held accountable so mm -hmm. um that's what that first part mean the second part is um just the just having um the person that shot and killed um, Trayvon to be arrested even though he wasn't prosecuted um, he was arrested and so that even furthers our work even more mm -hmm. um, because through the Trayvon Martin Foundation we reach out and help other families um, who have lost a child through senseless gun violence. Hmm, I love it I love it and before I don't want to let you go without allowing you to say how can we help you in your campaign what does look what does it look like supporting you Miss Sabrina in this process well I would um I would encourage everybody that's listening to go to my website it's sabrinafulton.com you spell my name with a y s y b r i n a fulton f u l t o n Dot com. That's my website. Um, and just take a look at some of the things that um, I support, some of the things that I'm saying. I mean, I just want to uh, speak to the people. I want to speak for the people. I want to put people over profit. I want to make sure that Miss um, Johnson can sit on her porch and not be afraid of being robbed or being, uh, uh, you know, her house being burglarized or her being beaten or anything like that. I, I just want people to feel comfortable in their own community 
um, and, and people are not feeling comfortable right now. Number one, because of the crime, you know, and, and number two, because of what they heard from other people, from other neighbors. Um, even if their family has not been affected, somebody that they know has been affected. And I want to make sure that people are feeling comfortable and safe in their own community. So I, I encourage people to go to my website so they can see some of the things that I support, some of the things that I'm involved in. And then number two, I want them to volunteer to help the campaign, support the campaign. Right now, we just having groups, uh, committees that make calls to try to get people to know what my platform is, to get people to volunteer, to get people to donate. And there is a donate button that's there too. Any amount, I, I will appreciate. Um, that money goes for me to pay staff. That money goes for me to just get the word out that I'm that I'm running for Miami-Dade County Commissioner District One. I, I am going to look forward. I'm going to look at that list and see how I can support you. And to all my listeners, to all the grief crusaders, please adhere to how we can support her because at the end, she's fighting for our sons. And she's taught me today, she's also fighting for our daughters. So before I let you go, I always ask these three questions. What have you learned about yourself in this process? <laughs> um, that I didn't know. Okay. One thing that I learned is um, I see myself as a train. And I see myself as a conductor of a train. And I have to accept when people get off the train. Ooh. I've learned that. So when people get off the train, that's their stop. Ooh. And and you can't stop the train that people chills. <laughs> that people are riding on the train with you. They're going in the same direction I'm going in. But if they get off and I stop the train just for that one person, then what about all the other people that's on there that's going in the same direction I am? So I let I allow people to get off the train but the train continues to go. I have to continue. I have to keep it moving. I have to continue to move forward. And if I stop the train for one person, I'm not moving forward. And that's my thing. My focus is to move forward. And so people are going to get off the train. People are going to get on the train, but I got to keep it moving. I love it. I learned that about myself, not concentrating on the people um, that get off the train. I'm going to give you an example. Say, for instance, you have a birthday party and you invite 20 people and two people don't show up and you're so concerned. Why didn't Teresa come and Lisa? Why are they missing? Why are they? Mi OK, but you have a 18 people that's there mm -hmm. that support you, that love you, that came to celebrate your birthday. But you're concerned with the ones that didn't come. You have to learn how to not be concerned or so concerned with the ones that show up, the ones that the ones that do not show up but the ones that show up that's who you have to put most of your um energy in that's the ones that you have to pay attention to the ones that do come because those are the ones good i love it the second thing if you had your final last words and they were five words or less what would that word of encouragement be um I would tell people always stay focused. Stay focused. Stay focused. I like it. And then the last thing, I love to sing. I swear I sound like Whitney Houston. Me my too. Me too. 
Me too. That's me. <laughs> I swear I sound like Whitney Houston in my head. Like I'll sing anywhere. I don't care. I'm talking about everything and all. My thing is, and because I love to sing is what song gets you through those dark days? Whew, I have a few songs that get me through the dark days. Um, I like, uh, what is his name? Uh, Hamilton. Is it Hamilton? Uh, Fred Hammond? Fred Hammond. Blessed. Blessed. Fred Hammond, blessed. I'm going to go play that one today. Fred Hammond, blessed. Yep. Oh my God. This was such an honor. I thank you, Sabrina. I thank you for coming on the Redefining Grief podcast where we teach this life is not perfect, but the requirement of living it is. Thank you for being an example of it. Thank you for speaking your truth on the grief mic. I appreciate you. Go ahead and support her. She's doing it. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank You're you. You're welcome. Okay. Take care. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> wow. Heavy. Just heavy. Enlightening. Powerful. Um, it's that chat, that mom-to-mom, uh, heart-to-heart conversation about her journey in going from grief to purpose has really left me in a place where whew, I gotta do more. I gotta do more. And you know, I have to be honest, I don't know what more looks like. Um, I've campaigned for, um, I've campaigned for votes for different people, for people that I supported I have done my my part of going to the polls, but there's more that I can do. I don't know what it looks like. I am going to go to prayer with that because I do feel God tugging at my heart. I don't want to wait until it happens for me to then want to take action. I, I um, If I can avoid it, if I can help just one more mother's heart from not breaking by doing something other than what I normally do vote pick the candidates that are that see us and hear us as black mothers I'm not sure but I'm hoping that this episode really left you encouraged it allow you to think that we are really all in this together. We are. And so I'm getting off the grief mic today with only one thing, with only one question. What are you willing to do? What are you willing to do? And to be honest, I don't know what that looks like for me. But why don't you explore it for yourself as I explore it for mine? Thank you, Sabrina. Thank you.